The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Hope you are enjoying your day wherever and whenever you are. Welcome to episode 25 of Shag and Flies. This is your co-host, Zach Hayes, coming at you with the quarter century mark. And joining us for that milestone was Derek Van Riper this week, writer and podcaster extraordinaire for TheAthletic.com. We talked about a lot of different stuff, spent about a little over an hour with him. Uh, some of the highlights include uh, going from old Madison, Wisconsin here in the Midwest out to the Bay Area. Uh, things you'll see at working at a Sam's Club in the suburban Midwest. Some love for Devin Harris, University of Wisconsin basketball elite alum. Comerica Park in Detroit, why it's a great place to visit, uh, cravings for ballpark nachos, and especially the brisket nachos on the outfield concourse at Sox Park. Uh, lots of recommendations, some Ted Lasso talk, and much, 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 much more. So, without saying more, here is the show, Shaggin' Flies, episode number 25. Thanks for joining us, along with Derek Van Riper. <laughs> threads there are in the head of Greta Gerwig, but yeah, anyway. it's gonna be it's gonna be something. But anyways, um, so I want to be respectful of your time, Derek. So we're gonna get right into it. And uh, the very first thing I want to do is thank you so much for being here on Shag and Flies with us. It's super cool to have you. Um, I know you've been very very busy. I know the. Uh, on a much smaller scale, I know the life of trying to do uh, fantasy baseball and fantasy football at the same time in September, and it's a nightmare. So I can only imagine what it's like when you multiply that uh, for doing it for a bigger platform than you know, like I was doing it for like QB list. So like you know, <laughs> nothing like tiny tiny platform. So uh, I I I understand the busyness. So I'm I'm glad you're able to be here with us. It's awesome to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it, it's um. It's. I feel bad saying no anytime anyone reaches out. It's like, hey, will you come <laughs> on my podcast or it, any sort of like reasonable favor at all? I'm, I'm always yeah. happy to do it. And for the better part of three months, for the first time in my life, it was almost always no. And then there were a few yeses that snuck in because of 
perfect timing, whatever it was. And I actually felt bad saying yes to people because I'm like, no, I said no to these other people and I got to go back and, and help them out before <laughs> I can help you. And uh, But anyway, I'm, I'm glad we finally found a time that actually worked for me and things are, are settling down. I mean, I moved this summer across the country. So that was the, that oh, was the man. variable of... Uh, of chaos in my life it was all, all yeah. for good reasons yeah. and good things but just it, it, you know it takes stress so time man. it's a lot yeah. so so where are you now when where were you and what inspired the move so my wife and i and our dog hazel we moved from the madison wisconsin area to the bay area for a job mm. that she accepted she finished a phd back in june it was uh, a job offer contingent upon finishing by the end of June. So it was a, a photo finish, getting all that work in on time. And she did it. And yeah. then it was like, okay, time to pack up in July. No, no time to celebrate. <laughs> get the car ready. Get everything boxed up. Let's get on the road. We were here at the end of the first week of August. So uh, oh, been a fun, fun few months for us. Wow. Yeah. You in, in the Bay Area. How are you liking the Bay Area? Love it. It's, um, I mean... It, as someone who's lived in the Midwest my entire life prior to this, it is very nice in November to step outside <laughs> and have a 65 degree sunny day, right? Because that, I mean, when does that happen in most parts of the country? <laughs> it, it's that that alone is just a relief after, especially after the stress. Like I can't imagine mm -hmm. going the other way right now. If we'd made the move from the Bay Area to Madison and we were stressed out, and you look <laughs> outside, oh, it's 38 and raining right now. Have fun. <laughs> There's, yeah, there's I'm 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 based in Chicago and I can see like I love I love Madison. Um very fun, very fun town. I've good friends there, have gone to visit many times, but I can see why if you've been there for a very long time, the Bay Area would be at least um weather wise quite a step up. I was having a conversation with a friend with a friend in LA like just a few days ago. And I was telling them like, oh, yeah, you know, daylight savings. It's time to double my vitamin D dose and get the sun lamp out and all that stuff. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I go, yes, not, not everybody has to deal with this hell land when the, when the sun yeah. goes down at 4, 430 for four months. Oh, dude. Yeah. The sun's going down at like five o'clock here and I'm just outside of Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, yeah, it's dark all the time and it's kind of cold. Yeah. There's this uh, whenever I think of this, I, I, I think of this old uh, Daniel Tosh bit where he talks about living in California and he says, you know, people from outside California be like, I could never live in California because like I I miss the seasons. I like seasons. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, me too. That's why we skip the first ones. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that sounds that sounds like California. And it sounds nice. But that's that's awesome. I can only imagine that moving from Wisconsin to the Bay Area, it's quite the weather shift. We but that's great. awesome. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, the first thing I want to talk about is we want to talk a little bit about you, Derek Van Riper. And uh, I want to get the Derek Van Riper origin story. I want to know where are you from originally? What planet um, specifically? What planet specifically? Yeah, because there's a lot of planets out there. I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of lot of planets. <laughs> so, which of those are you from? Uh, <laughs> and also, uh, kind of, how did you get into the fantasy sports writing world? You've been doing it for a long time. From uh, I believe it's RotoWire that you started at, all the way to the Athletic. You've been doing it for uh, over a decade. So, uh, yeah, what's what's the, the DVR origin story? Well, I, I'm an Earthling. Um, 
I was born. Man, in... nah, I lost money on that bet. All right. <laughs> I know. That's a <laughs> tough one for everybody out there. So, yeah, yeah I was born in Muskegon, Michigan, um, directly across Lake Michigan from Milwaukee, basically. No accent, I notice. Yeah. Yeah. No accent. Which Did is... you ever have one? Did you lose it? Or is. Uh... I never had one. Interesting. It, it's, it's good for, for broadcasting purposes. Oh, oh, for sure. I, 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 I want the record to show that I, I think it's fair to say you have the best radio voice of every guest we've had. Maybe you and like maybe Connor. Was Newcomb, Connor, is, Connor was pretty solid. Connor. I mean, Connor is a professional like a play-by-play guy, so, so <laughs> he needs to have that voice. But any, I mean, any, between the two of you, it's like. Any. So definitely, Any, yeah. Anyhow, starting starting in Muskegon, Michigan. Yes, yeah, I started started there, born there, uh, <laughs> lived there until I was in uh, seventh grade. Parents' jobs moved us around a couple of times. Made a stop in the Chicago suburbs for a year. Uh, made it up to the Milwaukee suburbs for all of high school. Went to the University of Wisconsin. So, mm. I mean, I've been in Wisconsin for more than twenty years, and uh, graduated from UW back in '06. Rotowire had actually just moved from Los Angeles to Madison the summer of 2005. So I was looking for internships in wow. hopes of having some kind of job when I graduated. I had a communication arts degree or major in communication arts. So fellow communications major right there, the brightest C plus students on the planet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Didn't have the grades to get into Wisconsin's journalism school. Actually, they they said didn't say it was a grades thing. They said you don't have enough professional experience to get into the journalism school. Education requires five years of experience. Yeah. yeah I was hoping like, you'd be like, like we just don't like you. Uh, you know. <laughs> I think if I had applied a fourth time, they would have just said, "Look, oh my goodness, we don't like you." But I, I, I took the hint, you know, I, I realized like, okay, this isn't going to happen. This is a similar degree. It's actually a little more broad. I can you know, do video production, learn some cool skills. And as it happened, Rotowire had just moved to Madison. So I, I don't know when you guys got your first jobs doing anything. I mean, I, I worked at grocery stores and I worked at Sam's Club through high school and college. So I had normal like retail jobs. But the first actual real job that I had uh, coming out of college was the internship at Rotowire, and it was posted on a cork board in in Vilas Hall, which is just like, does anyone get a job from a cork board anymore? Is there a piece of paper with a thumbtack holding a piece of paper? Like, I don't think that's how people get jobs anymore. So, no, that's how you uh, that's how you get roped into a scam where it's like we buy homes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a kayaks person near me. Yeah. There's we buy kayaks out here. Really? Oh my! That's the most Bay Area thing. <laughs> we buy kayaks. Ever, we buy kayaks. Like you've just got kayaks sitting around. Like, I just need to get rid of all the these areas going right now. How long until kayaks are like premium real estate space? You know, timeshare your kayak and. <laughs> oh, imagine an app where you could rent Sunday a kayak for for like eleven dollars, and it, you know it's a, half the price of renting one from a shack by the lake right now. I mean, that'd be amazing. Oh man. There you go. But, Launch that app. Great business idea. You got it. Well, the next time I learn a skill, it might be to learn to code. And if I do that, I could build that app. But uh, there you yeah. go. So Rotowire was uh, the start for me in fantasy and, and just as like a professional anything coming out of college. And it was as much fortunate timing as anything else. Uh, unlike Wisconsin Journalism School, they seemed to like me there. Uh, they liked that I had experience doing real world work, my real world experience. Uh, selling memberships at Sam's Club and driving forklifts and doing things like that actually was the, the separator because 
it Wisconsin, they were surprised that they could get as many interns basically as they could possibly handle like the between journalism and com arts and other majors. There were so many people that were into sports. They could have had a hundred interns if they had enough full-time people around to train them and teach them how to do things that would actually be helpful. Coming from LA, they had a hard time getting interns because compared to bigger companies that were out there, it was like, well, why would I intern for this little fantasy website? I can go intern at Fox or my right. dad owns this company, so I can go here. So they were really surprised by that. And they were just looking for people that had a few different skills. And uh, you know, I did everything there. I wrote player notes. I helped write articles. I answered phones. I answered customer emails. And uh, I was there for a long time. I was there from 05 until I went to the athletic in 2019. So a lot wow. changed in the industry during that time. Like there's a, yeah, a, a lifetime scary. of fantasy industry changes that occur just in, in the time that I was at Rotowire. Oh yeah. I mean, if from 05, I mean, that's, that's like the, the exponential rise of fantasy. I mean, especially fantasy football really, but I mean, from then on, it's, it's crazy how much the industry has changed since then. Um, what's, you know, I just, I just thought of this, what's something. So back in Oh five, Oh six, what's something compared to now that is just so drastically different in the fantasy world. You know, I would say because of Twitter, at least the, mm. the crowd is a lot younger hmm. and that's, that's a great thing. I mean, because yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the first time I went to first pitch Arizona, I think was the 2010 fall league season, 09, 2010, September around then. So a little after I got into the industry and it was a smaller gathering than it is now. And it was just, a, it was a lot of old white guys. I mean, like it just was. And, and that's, that's like the core group that started fantasy baseball in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but clearly baseball is a global game. Fantasy sports are for everyone. We are seeing that change. It is it is happening. I have seen that change. Have, have I seen enough change? Of course not. No, there's, there's a long way to yeah, go yeah. on that front. But uh, I, I just think the, the sheer volume of people who have some kind of following, some kind of expertise, some kind of, of thing they contribute to the group, that is mind-blowing to me because it was so small when I started. I mean, when I started, Matthew Barry wasn't on ESPN yet. I think at the time... The fantasy stuff they did was on ESPN News. Like back when Michael Kim was the main ESPN News anchor, they would do uh, fantasy on Mondays. Like it was like fantasy 420, I think is what it was. So depending on where you lived, it was like a few hours earlier. But on the East Coast, it was like fantasy 420 or something like that. And Jeff Erickson and Chris List would get a segment. They'd go to the ESPN zone. Remember those things? Like those, oh, those dude, I had like my 12th birthday party at one of those Oh, my things. God. Yeah. I had a, There was an ESPN zone in Baltimore that was uh, located in what used to be an old factory. And, uh, man, uh, no, it's <laughs> well, it may be haunted. It's like this, this massive old factory that used to house an ESPN zone and a Hard Rock Cafe and a Barnes & Noble. Oh. And uh, the Hard Rock Cafe and Barnes & Noble are still there. What if but, we um, in the combination Hard Rock Cafe and ESPN <laughs> Zone? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, dude. Hard Rock Cafe was like my mecca because I was a classic rock obsessed teenager. I'd walk in there and be like, they've got Bob Dylan's guitar. And like the Baltimore Hard Rock Cafe didn't actually have the cool stuff. The, I went to a Hard Rock Cafe in New York City. They had Bob Dylan's guitar. Uh, the Hard Rock Cafe in Baltimore had like the bassist from the Hollies base or like um what's his name uh uh the 
Dave Slaughter, the guy from Slaughter, the '80s hair metal band, his guitar was in uh, Hard Rock. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was it was nothing cool, but uh, but yeah, no ESPN Zone <laughs> Arcade. Yeah, it's like the best version of a Dave and Buster's or a Chuck E. Cheese. It was yeah. uh, oh, the best. I miss them. Yeah, so they were shooting fantasy segments there, like fifteen minutes, yep. uh, a couple days a week, and it was a rotation of a handful of people in the industry that got to do it, and that was kind of it for fantasy sports on TV at the time. Uh, so pretty amazing that that's changed just within ESPN, of course, with the growth that they've had over the last fifteen years. But uh, even like SiriusXM fantasy sports radio, that wasn't a thing when I started. I think that was about five years into my time at RotoWire when that launched, and. I was lucky enough to be a part of that, you know, with Jeff Erickson, Chris Liss, um, th- their willingness to share the airtime they had is amazing. Like there are so many people in this world that would get airtime and not share it with anyone at all, especially someone with no on-air experience. Uh, so that was very kind of them, opened a lot of doors for me. I mean, in every possible way, DFS changed a ton about how oh, people sure. think about fantasy, the amount of money that was coming in in the form of advertising. It created more paid opportunities for people to write, eventually to do podcasts. Like It, it really, I, I feel like I entered it just the perfect time to have some stability in at least the first part yeah. of my career. I mean, who knows what the future holds for anyone? I'm, I'm 37 years old now. And I've seen what's happened to the more senior content creators over time. They kind of get bumped out. So mm, it's like, mm. at, at what age, like if, if the industry grows a lot, but not enough, do I start to get pushed out at like 45? <laughs> and people, I mean, eventually people might say, yeah, like, hey, we, we've heard enough of you. We've seen your rankings yeah. enough. Like, just just let someone else do it for a while. It's It's definitely become so saturated. And like, I've even noticed that it's become pretty saturated, like more saturated than it was when I first started writing about fantasy in like 2015. Like that, you know, that, that wasn't all that long ago. And, and I, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I remember when I first started doing stuff for picture list, I, there weren't a whole lot of people on Twitter who were making, um, gifts mm-hmm. of pitches that uh, Nick taught me how to do it. I started doing it on my Twitter and it's how I garnered like probably 50% of the following that I got in the first year that I was writing for picture list. Now everyone does it. I mean, like there's, you'd be hard pressed to find a Twitter account that doesn't make a gif of something of pitches and stuff. And of course, you know, people like Nick, but I think um, more, uh, you know, pitching ninja have kind of, you know, made that pretty popular, but it's crazy to see just even that, let alone fantasy content has become so saturated that it's it's hard to figure out how to break through you know it's cuz if you there's a formula for running a fantasy baseball or football site where it's just like rankings and like just standard everyday stuff but how do you how do you break through all this noise that's there now is something that I'm constantly thinking about uh it's and it's fascinating to see the ways people, the ways that people are doing that because they are. It's it's super cool to see. But yeah, you've gotten to see the fantasy industry grow from like the Wild West almost a little bit, like the tail end of it when it was the Wild West in the two thousands to like the serious industry that it is now. It must be fascinating to have seen that over the past uh, decade or so. Yeah, and I guess the 
the big change happening right now is the legalization of sports betting, right? I mean, that's yeah. the, the yeah. next layer stacked on top. And the funniest thing for me is just like at the beginning, because because of the attitudes about sports betting, the fantasy industry had more of a we're not betting, like they're the trying to just make it clear to <laughs> so gambling. We swear, makers, like, I remember that we're not gambling. Don't lump don't lump us in with gambling. And then yeah, as it's yeah. become instantly as it's changed, like no, we're we're one industry, like we're we're merging, like we're we're part of this. And I, I I get it. I understand why you play it that way and why you're just trying to save what you have. Like it, that's totally understandable. But that's like a totally totally different sort of vibe than how it was when I started. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. I wonder if that's going to be something that the fantasy industry will kind of have to reckon with at a certain point. That there are cross ends with people. Most of the people I would imagine who like we would talk to get into this stuff for like for fun. We're having fun here. Fantasy is fun to do with friends, and it's fun to do yeah. analysis and all that stuff. And that's just not really the instinct or the vibe or the um, approach that that the gambling side of things takes. Oh, on. I mean. For sure. That's the, the the attitude that I always tell writers to have with fantasy sports is to remember that they're writing about fake baseball on the internet, which is to way which is a way to say like never take it too seriously. I've I've seen so many fantasy writers who take themselves way too seriously. And I'm like, guys, you don't need to do that. You're writing about, you know, fake baseball on the internet. It's it's a fun little game and and keep it light. But when you start introducing gambling and people losing and winning sizable amounts of money all of a sudden it's not writing just writing about fake baseball on the internet it gets a lot more serious and i think that's that's definitely something the industry is going to have to reckon with yeah and um, i think for for gambling like for me one of the key differences too is like the barrier to entry is a lot lower than it was to play dfs like to play dfs mm-hmm. i think it took a little more analytical legwork i mean you could go in there with no idea what you're doing click on a bunch of names of players that you thought were good plays that day and make a lineup it it wasn't Mm -hmm. that difficult but to do well at it was was difficult i think gambling lends itself to creating new players as it becomes increasingly legal it's going to be really easy to get people to try it and to think that they're a lot better at it than they really are and i think that's something that Mm -hmm. content creators need to be very mindful of yeah, yeah. Yes, these companies are really predatory. But um, to continue to be respectful of your time, we do have one, yes. one, one question or question to move on before baseball stuff. And um, I actually Ben put this up here, and I'm very interested to hear the answer because uh, uh, we've talked to a few people who had like retail stories and did retail and service industry work. But uh, you did talk about Sam's Club, and we were just curious if there was anything that you can remember working about Sam's Club and you just one of those big warehouse joints that was different than like your standard grocery store operation. Anything particularly funny or unique that came, came along with that? Oh. Also, you spoiled my moment because I was going to be like, he's going to be like, oh, man, you really did your research <laughs> when I asked him a Sam's Club question. And then you mentioned it as if like I was just riffing off of that. Rat. Son of a gun. Uh, <laughs> you know, the weirdest thing about that place, and I, I, I go to Costco and have a family of two and a dog. and I still buy in bulk on certain things because I just find the random stuff they carry to be fascinating. And, yep. Yeah, it's just yep. it's just a fun place. To, I to grew be. up in a family that uh, of four, me and a brother and uh, my two parents, and they shopped at Sam's Club constantly buying things in just massive sizes that they never needed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, like I, I try not to be ridiculous about it, but I think the the story that pops into my head first. So 
I worked at the returns. I mean, I did, I did every job in that store, you guys. I, I drove forklifts. I stocked the freezer. I cleaned the rotisserie, which is one of the worst jobs Ooh, in the store. Um, you know, I pushed carts when I first started, cashiered. I was a supervisor. I, every Almost every single department, I worked there at least a little. For a while, I was selling memberships and doing returns. Probably one of the worst jobs in the store, actually. Seems like it's not bad because you're not cleaning a rotisserie, but is bad because people return stuff that they shouldn't return. They're trying to get one over on you, yeah. Oh, man. So yeah, I just... I got sick of the store being taken advantage of because it just it felt personal. Like people would bring stuff back and they'd stare at me with that the customer is always right, and they 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 just have that attitude with me where it was like you have to take this back. Yeah, and I got into it with one of the members once a little bit, and I think they told my manager about it. And manager sat me down and said, "Look, Derek, our policy is we take everything back. Just <sighs> take it back. Don't." Like I understand what you like, why you were. Like, it, it wasn't like one of those things where they completely bailed on me, but it was just a reminder of like you got to make them happy. Yeah. Like, a day later, summer day, someone wheels in a flatbed of hot dogs and ice cream sandwiches and uh, previously frozen burger patties. All of this stuff had clearly been outside for several <laughs> hours, and this person. I think, if I remember correctly, said something to the effect of, hey, I bought this for a baseball tournament concession stand, and I bought too much. <laughs> and they wanted to return the uneaten, thought-out, oh melted my God. food. And it was, it was flat. I mean, it was a flatbed full, like a couple hundred dollars at least. That's insane. And my first thought was, that's ridiculous. We can't take this back. <laughs> but my second thought was the manager in my head just telling me, we just take everything back. So, <laughs> oh my God. No problem, sir. I got this for you. So I go ahead. I do my thing, push the buttons. <laughs> my manager comes out a few minutes later and he sees this flatbed of just melting garbage <laughs> sitting in, in front of the, the returns desk. He goes, What's going on with this? I said, Well, someone bought too much and decided they wanted to return it. He goes, You had to call me for that. I said, What do you mean? You told me we take everything back. We take everything. Oh, my God. And he just, he just had like that moment where he's like, Oh, this stupid kid. Beautiful. Literally. And, and just call, like his, his manager is probably going to get pissed at him because I'm sure, I'm sure it was a, enough money where he had to probably log it somewhere and it was a big hassle. But um, I had a lady try to return a, you know, those floating trampolines you can put off like a dock, you know, like they're like, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> She was mad because overnight when the temperature dropped, the air came out of it, right? Right. And I just said, <laughs> man, that, that's going to happen. It's physics. Like, it's a science. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it works just fine. Like, it'd be weird if it didn't do that, actually. Like, I would be more concerned if it wasn't <laughs> adhering to the laws of physics. I, that lady didn't like that explanation at all. <laughs> like, she was furious that some 19-year-old kid was trying to explain science to her with a, a water trampoline that she oh, bought for my kids. God. So, it, I, I feel like uh, that job, I worked at. I worked at that place for about five years. A few different stores, different parts of Madison. I worked on a Northside Milwaukee store. I worked in the Walk the Waukesha is the suburb I grew up in. Worked at that store. You just encountered all different kinds of people shopping in those stores, working in those stores. It's a great experience. Like I look, I hated it at the time. I look back at it now. I'm like, that was good for me. Like that was good for me in ways that I never could have predicted at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you and I are kind of similar in a way because I would have had that same exact attitude. Like the man, like I, I worked at a JC Penney's for a long time, and uh, I always hated it. I would get really like, you know, a customer was wrong, and I'd be like, no, 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 they're wrong. They are in the wrong. And my manager would be like, just don't, just you know, give it to them. 
make him happy. I'm like, no, have my back here, man. They are wrong. They cannot be right right now because they're wrong. You're just encouraging them. You're enabling them. And they're like, dude, I don't have. So I would get like that. And I could totally see. This yeah. being like, well, you said it was okay. So <laughs> it begs oh my God. fundamental, fundamental contradictions in my head <laughs> in which I'm, I'm very much in support of stealing from big box stores, you know, like. <laughs> rip those things off take advantage of them but also like i can imagine some you know karen from waukesha wisconsin getting getting mad over her and you know inflatable whatever and just being like yep. you man <laughs> yep like, oh i i definitely would have gotten that way uh, um one two different directions one last question i do want to ask you before we go to baseball and this can be a quick one what is the best track off of mgmt's album miraculous spectacular Oh boy, that's a yeah. You got ninety minutes for me to, to break them all down. Um, the question actually, is, do you have ninety minutes? <laughs> yeah. The track I still turn to the most is "Time to Pretend." I, I yeah. There's just not a lot of tracks I've heard that sound like that. The, the, yeah. I think they did an episode of Song Exploder about it and broke it all down. It was fantastic. If you haven't listened to that podcast, it's great. Mm, yeah, kind yeah, of, I, I know of it. Yeah. It deconstructs a lot of different so- songs from all different genres, so it doesn't really matter what you like. Just kind of hearing what influenced certain certain instruments, certain things being brought to the table. Um, I, I'll, I'll go time to pretend, but that's that's one of my favorite albums, start to finish, of the last twenty years. I mean, I I love that album. What do, What do you think of what MGMT has done since then? Like they're they've kind of gone away from like the more oh, pop man. sensibilities into gone like full bore into psychedelic conceptual music i can understand why you wouldn't want to make pop music forever like i i fully understand and respect that um i don't enjoy the psychedelic albums quite as much as i enjoyed that first one though. yeah so yeah i don't know if that makes me simple or, or no no it's or what that makes me but um I totally understandable to be like sometimes bands like they make their pop stuff and then they make the stuff that they kind of want to make and it's perfectly fine sometimes to like one and not the other you know it's no yeah, different than yeah. people who are like oh, i don't like they're too mainstream now they're early stuff really no different yeah, uh, yeah exactly. I, I guess like if i could write a screenplay and i knew like if i could write a romantic comedy to justify making five other movies <laughs> right like i would i would right. take that pill like i would mm-hmm. i would i would deal oh. with that i would write oh, yeah, yeah. a happy romantic comedy first to then like subsidize my five vanity projects. Right, so exactly. I, I understand. Oh, that's what that's what movie studios do. They pump out a like easy to please big budget movie that will make them millions of dollars so that they can then finance the artsy Oscar winners that don't make a ton of money. It's yeah, classic. That's what uh shoot, I remember hearing an interview with David Cross because he did the uh, um those Alvin and the Chipmunk movies. And um yeah, David Cross was in the Alvin and the Chipmunk movies, um, and he uh, was asked about that because they were like, dude, why are you doing these like crappy kids movies? And he's like, because I needed a new house. <laughs> like, it just sometimes doing that can like, you know, help finance some of the things you might need. Um, but anyways, uh, before we move to some baseball centric questions, we are at about 30 minutes in. So we're going to take a quick beat for an ad break beat beat. That was a quick. 
Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show enough beat and Zach will pop the ad in in that beat. Um, anyways, okay, so now we're going to talk about baseball stuff after that wonderful ad. Shout out to Nick and or Alex, whoever read that ad break that we just slotted in there. Great ad, guys. Um, <laughs> buy the product. Buy whatever that product is. I think our last one was subscribe to Pitchless Plus, which tell you what, full endorsement. I have full endorsement. Hang out on Discord with us and talk with us. Um, anyways, so the main question that we ask everybody on this podcast, uh, there are a lot of sports out there, but what is it about baseball specifically? that you love about uh, what is it about that sport compared to football, basketball, hockey, whatever other sport, what is it about baseball that is special to you? I think it's the, of the sports that were consistently on TV when we were kids. And that does not really include soccer. Uh, Baseball is the one sport that I saw people play professionally on TV that I could also play myself, right? I I played little league, Mm. And uh, I could see myself in those players. I didn't play football. Uh, I tried to play basketball. I was horrible at it. And uh, my parents weren't on board with ponying up whatever it took to play hockey <laughs> and probably getting me to the rink at 5 a.m. Um, hockey parents, I think, are just a different breed. But <laughs> the th- That's a big part of it for me. Because like, in my neighborhood growing up in Muskegon, actually, we had we had probably about a dozen kids that all played little league together. We're all within a few years of each other and we just get together throughout the summer. Any summer day off, there was a big yard next to a house that I don't know if anyone even lived in this house. It was big enough for kids to play baseball in. We would show up there several days a week, take our bikes, make an outfield fence and just play a pickup game. And I think that really kind of, develop my love for the game like, and then having obviously the actual little league games and buying baseball cards and it, it all just like seemed like a thing that hey, I, I could actually do this i could play this sport i could you know i could become a, a baseball player someday and i'm glad i realized that was not going to happen <laughs> a young enough age to like still still enjoy it and not be like bitter about it or anything like that but um i think it was that and then after we moved a couple of times too um through my dad's work, they they had Brewers tickets, and oh, very. You, cool. might, you guys might recall the Brewers uh, in the late '90s were not good, <laughs> and uh, it was the kind of thing that you, you had you had this nice corporate ticket to give to customers. The customers didn't want them; they didn't care. Like they want free Brewers tickets? No, that's like four hours of my life I'm not going to get back. So 
when the they're, still, going, they're still in Milwaukee County Stadium at this point, right? Like, yeah, not, yeah, that was the County Stadium era. Not, not the coolest place to watch a game. So. Exactly. <laughs> so I got to go to a bunch of games because it, at a certain, if the tickets weren't going to be used, my dad would call my mom and just say, "Hey, you can take the kids. No one's using the tickets today." So I, <laughs> I got to go to a dozen major league games a year. It seemed like for the first few years we lived in Wisconsin, which was awesome. It was it was the greatest thing ever because I had, I went to one major league game when we lived in Schaumburg. Went to one White Sox game. It snowed. Jamie Navarro <laughs> pitched that day. Uh, so God, whoa! So the White Sox I'm lost, oh, and shit. it snowed, and we left early because it snowed. I mean, Navarro, who I believe famously once like refused to come out of a game or like <laughs> like threw a temper tantrum and like except not in the Max Scherzer way where it's cool because he's pitching well, but in the like, no, you've given up nine runs. You need to leave this mountain now, sir. <laughs> yeah, it's time to go. So uh, just to see the game up close like that too, I think also developed that even even those were bad teams. Those were the Jeff Jenkins, uh, Alex Ochoa, you know, like those. Those, those are the, the Ronnie, Be- uh, Ronnie Belliard days, right? Ronnie Belliard, Dave. Yeah. Nielsen, I think, was their best player the first year we started going to games. So, I mean, I I, I grew up on bad Major League Baseball, and yet I still love Major League Baseball. You are are a man of my heart. I am an Orioles fan. And um, when I was – well, I'm not going to pretend like I've ever seen really good Orioles baseball. There was like a three-year span where that was, uh, I'm still convinced, kind of a, a magic trick. That didn't actually happen. But uh, growing up as a kid, you know, I'm paying attention to the Orioles. Late 90s, I wasn't paying attention to the Orioles super close. I was, you know, I turned 10 in, two, in uh, um, when was it, 2000? I don't even know what time is. Uh, so when I was really paying attention to the Orioles was early 2000s. And like, that was a... That was awful. <laughs> they were so... <laughs> that was like the Sidney Ponson is our ace time of the Orioles and like Nederlander. that's yeah I, it's I like that last time we recorded to um Matthew Robertson called me out for actually not being the long-suffering fan that I claim to be having having won a World Series having seen my team won a World Series in 2005 that being said uh yeah man I was pretty young in 2005 and like you know <laughs> uh what we we always come back to these same points man and that's the far it's a that's a very familiar story where it's I'm here as I've said on the show many times, because I spent most of the 2010s paying like $8 to go and watch White Sox games with 5,000 other people in the lower deck sitting next to the scouts who were there because they have to be, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff like mm-hmm. that. And that's, it's, it's an, man, it's really interesting what a common theme that is. It's almost as if you make it easy for people to go, then you'll grow the game, right? Weird, right? If you make this game accessible and, and visible for people, like they, they kind of have this tendency to fall in love with it and keep watching it. Who would have guessed? <laughs> Now, you had um. So, if you're if you're watching the Brewers or listening to the Brewers in the late '90s, 2000s, that was uh. You had some good broadcasters, right? You, I was saying, yeah. Bob Euchre, right? We've had Bob Euchre. I mean, he was there long before we moved there, and uh, the, it's the second chair that's always been really good too. I think when mm. we got to Wisconsin, Jim Powell, I think was the the other guy now he's moved on to Atlanta. Uh, Joe Block, who's with the Pirates, has gone through there. Pat Hughes with the Cubs was with the Brewers for a little while. Uh, Matt Vaskurgeon was doing the Brewers for a while. Yeah. Yep. Vaskurgeon and Darren Sutton both did TV before Brian Anderson did. Brian Anderson's great. I mean, I I I think Brewers fans just don't realize how lucky they've been to 
always have someone good in the lead spot, but to also have backup people who are good. I mean, now that Yuke doesn't do road games throughout the regular season, uh, Jeff Levering is awesome. Jeff Levering would be a lead person anywhere else he went. And um, yeah, so we're, we're spoiled in that regard. We're just not really spoiled with winning. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the Orioles are going through that now, I think, with our play-by-play guys because we had Gary Thorne for so long and Gary is just like the greatest ever. And then he's gone. And so now we sometimes get Kevin Brown, who's fantastic, but we also have this guy, Scott Garceau, who is just awful. I mean, just truly we uh, we spent a lot of Connor Newcomb's podcast because he's an Orioles fan as well, talking about just how bad Scott Garceau is. I mean, the guy can't even pronounce some of the players' names. He he had so much trouble with Rio Ruiz when Rio was on the team because he would just be like, "And that's Rio Ruiz." I mean, just it's not even a tough one. No, it's not. But he would. You can never get him. He would garble that Anthony Santander. You know, just just awful. So, yeah, I can understand that. But um, anyways, so how many, I'm curious, how many ballparks have you been to? And of of those, this is a three-parter. How many ballparks have you been to? Of those ballparks, what's your favorite? And when you go to a ballpark, what is your, uh, if you have any, what's your food of choice? Is there something you always get at the ballpark? Or is there like a specific ballpark where you're like, this food thing, this is like the best? Yeah, so I think I'm right around a dozen parks. Um, obviously, been to both parks in Chicago, uh, been to Comerica, been to Target Field, Miller Park slash American Family Field. I mean, if we're just counting the active ones. I did a three-park trip geez, eight, or, eight or so summers ago with some friends. We did Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh. Uh, I've caught... San Diego on a trip like for work. That was awesome. Petco is amazing. And I've been to San Francisco now that I live out here. I got a game actually in August. Pretty soon after we got here, I went out and checked out a game. So out of all of those, and I went to Old Tiger Stadium once when I was a kid. That was the very Ooh, first game I went to. That's so super cool. That's a good one to have on the list. Yeah. I was only 10 years old, so I don't remember that's a lot a of things about it. But when I went to Comerica a few years ago, it actually it felt similar to old tiger Stadium. I think they did some things with some of the some of the walkways on the concourse to make it feel pretty similar yeah. uh, so I, I was at tigers era comerica earlier this summer for the first time or for the first time in like 10 years and it's like it's shorter than you would think it doesn't mm-hmm. have like these kind of big the high arching walls that you see on a lot of a lot of more modern stadiums i guess but it was like surprising it's only like you don't have a huge it's kind of boxy and i don't know i could See that anyway. Tell me about Tiger Stadium. That was <laughs> well. So the I, I think Detroit's one of the more underrated ballpark experiences. I, I I never hear anybody bring it up and say, "Oh yeah, Comerica's great." You got to make a point to go see Comerica. I I would put that on your list. Like I, I would say, if yeah. you're in the Midwest trying to prioritize parks, that's near the top of the list as far as places you'd have to go. I mean, Wrigley, of course, you'd want to go there. Um, but I would say it's almost a toss-up between Target Field and Comerica, and probably what makes the decision for a lot of people is maybe there's more stuff they want to do in the Twin Cities. Maybe that's sure. the thing, but in terms of just pure ballpark, they're very different. Uh, I think they're equally great. Uh, I think my favorite, San Francisco probably is my favorite. and uh, makes sense. It's I think it's most people's favorite if they've had a chance to go. It lives up to the hype. 
it is as cold as it appears to be on TV there, which is kind of strange, but it's just the way it is positioned on the water and never really gets that warm down there in the first place. And my go-to food is nachos, even though ballpark nachos where they haven't evolved are just your typical like can of liquid Sam's club cheese coming out of a (laughs) plastic heater uh, onto the sometimes stale, very salty, you know, yellow corn tortilla chips. Like I know that's what you get sometimes, but the helmet nachos at Miller Park are really good. I think they call them Cactus League nachos there. <laughs> Those are good. And then the nachos I had in San Francisco, there's a, a restaurant uh, on the corner by the Willie Mays statue. Forget the name of it right now. So that's a little bit of a cheap answer because it's not it's not a concession item in the no, park, but you can you can get it on game day. You can go in before yeah, the game yeah. and you know, have a couple beers. They had they had Pliny on tap, Pliny the Elder, like one of the, the best IPAs, mm. uh, one of the one of the OG craft o- IPAs, I guess. I, I don't know if people still like it as much as they used to because it's easier to get. As soon as it becomes easier mm-hmm. to get, people don't like it as much. Uh, so anyway, so <laughs> it, it's nachos for me for sure and good beer if it's available. I, I'm not going to pay 10 bucks and drink Bud Lights just to drink yep. a beer at a yep. game. I'll just drink beer you. later. I can, I can live without a beer at a game if I have to. I feel that I feel it's was it Ben was it Adam Wainwright that we were talking about I think during the um the White Sox Astros series where he discovered yeah where he the like magic of the yeah he discovered at, at, uh, at, yeah he uh he was talking about like I hear they have good nachos here and then like there was a break uh and then afterwards they're like, so Adam it looks like you have your nachos like yeah I guess if I just asked for it they give it to me and he's like <laughs> eating I, his helmet I, nachos in the booth. I will. I will also say, if you make your way back to Chicago anytime soon at uh, at Sox Park out in the center field concourse, they have a great loaded like barbecue nacho place, mm. or it's like a barbecue spot mm. that have got several different types of nachos with like brisket and all this other stuff. That's shockingly good for for like overrated ballpark fare. Um, <laughs> that sounds so, awesome because they got the yeah. your caves out there too. Which uh... man. Say what you want about Sox Park and the aesthetics, as far as like concessions and game day experience goes, it's one of the best in baseball, and you cannot tell me otherwise. Is it is it called Sox Park? Is that what no? It is that's just it's so it, historically Sox Park has <laughs> yeah. been it's like been called Sox Park forever. No matter what the name is, people have generally called it Sox Park, and I've only recently started deferring back to it, which is what I did growing up. Uh, because I'm just not going to say, <laughs> even if I wanted to, it's too much of a mouthful <laughs> to say every time I want to talk. Like the best thing I can come up with is the G spot, which I can't even say. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, no. Anyhow, nope. <laughs> anyhow, sorry. Yeah, no, guaranteed Rayfield is for sure. Yeah, maybe the I, worst I, name of a park in it's, hey, you know, all American, of baseball. I, I hate that they did that to Miller Park, though, honestly, because it was so fitting with. Milwaukee. Oh, everything, yeah. But, you know, the last before we, we get on to the last few questions, though, the non baseball stuff, I do want to ask you one more baseball thing. And that is, uh, what is the coolest moment you've ever seen live at a ballpark? So on that uh, road trip, that Cincinnati, Cleveland, Pittsburgh trip from a few summers ago, I actually saw Homer Bailey throw a no hitter. Oh, uh, it was oh, uh, man. It was a Reds Giants game. And it was a weeknight, so it wasn't really that crowded. Uh, it was a couple of days before the 4th of July, because when we were in Pittsburgh, it was the 4th a few days later. And it was near the end uh, of Tim Lincecum's run as a giant. And he didn't pitch all that poorly in that game, but uh, it was only about the the fourth inning when it kind of sunk in. I'm like, he he has A stuff right now, and he's he's done it through four. Like, this, this could actually happen. And I was surprised at the 
the very limited number of people around me who had any clue that a no hitter was happening. Like it, <laughs> it, once it got to like the eighth inning, obviously at that point, people started the, Oh wow. Like they, there's a zero out there under the, under the H like this is, this is a big deal. So easily the, the coolest uh, baseball moment I've experienced great American ballpark. It was the, the second no hitter of Homer Bailey's career. He had one a few years prior. Homer Bailey or Mike Fires, the most unlikely two-time no-hitter thrower. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I I actually remember Homer Bailey's. No, I I was always a huge Homer Bailey fan for some reason. I don't know why I liked him so much, but there was just there was just something about him when I was uh, that I really enjoyed watching him, and I remember that no-hitter, um, or I remember that he threw no-hitters. I don't remember that one specifically, but like. Like I, I couldn't have told you that it was against the Giants, but <laughs> yeah, I was Homer Bailey shout out. I always thought he, uh, I always thought he would be better than he was. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're going to move on to the uh, final little section of our podcast, which is a bunch of just random questions, not about baseball, not about uh, really anything at all. It's just stuff. The title so, on the notice is random stuff. Literally just random, random stuff. stuff. So <laughs> the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk to you about the order of operations trifecta. We are going to ask you three things, and we want to know the order in which you do those things. The first thing, when you get dressed, socks or pants first? I go pants before socks. Hmm. My man, do you? Uh, are you a, like, I don't like to wear socks person? Are, are you a barefoot person or are you I'm, a socks around the house guy? No, I'm barefoot around my home, but I'm not like barefoot in the gas station guy. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of middle. Unlike some there. people on this podcast, Ben. <laughs> I, no, no, no. I've never, I would never go out in public and just walk around barefoot, but I will be barefoot at home all of the time. Like first thing I do when I walk in the door is shoes and socks are gone. I, I, I don't like having socks. I know people who like to just walk around in socks all day, but nope. This entire podcast is actually an outlet for Ben's Vendetta. <laughs> sock wearers. So. I am firmly anti. No, no, no. I get socks. I get them. They, uh, as somebody who has worn a lot of uh, Sperry's without socks, um. there's definitely there's definitely a big benefit for your feet for socks <laughs> yeah <out of> there. <laughs> um on a slightly less gross note uh part two of the order of operations trifecta is uh cereal and milk if you eat the two presumably together which comes first i've been i've changed on this over time so Ooh. i think the standard is to put the cereal in the bowl first and dump the yeah. milk on top of it <laughs> I don't know what it is or why I switched within the last maybe year or so. If I do have a bowl of cereal, I pour the milk in first and then dump the cereal in because I think it comes down to sogginess. I think I probably had. Brandon, we got another. We, we got, got another. this is you are the. Uh, have you been talking to Jake? Is that what you've been doing? You know what it is. I don't think <laughs> I'm listening to Jake directly. I think I'm. <laughs> I'm letting Jake influence me subconsciously, and that that's worse. Love like, it. I that love seems this. a lot worse. But <laughs> I, the the cereal I eat. Maybe I'm an old man. Maybe it's a crap cereal. I don't know. I like uh, frosted mini wheats, the blueberry ones of all things, mm. which are just blue and weird and. Nobody likes those. It turns the milk a funny color, like periwinkle <laughs> milk. Yeah, that, that's, that's, drink that, kids. Th- those things get so soggy, though, if, if the milk is on there any longer than it needs to be. So I think because of my cereal preference and because of Jake tweeting it like every eight minutes, I, I <laughs> finally it. tried it. And I'm like, this is, this is actually better. I'm not going to tell him that. 
Hopefully he's not <laughs> listening at this moment, but I, I do like that better. And this oh, is where man. the supercut, the 20 minute supercut hits a skirt. You know, <laughs> we got there's like a, yeah, there's a record scratch. Cause like, I, I think you and Jake are the only of all of the yeah. uh, guests that we've had. Only ones. You and Jake are the only ones who have said milk first. So man. this is, this is a real Those water, real watershed. Man. Can't trust them. Real watershed <laughs> moment. Or should I say milk shed moment? No, that was right, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Zach's shutting this down. He's just like, like no. <laughs> <laughs> Disconnect, delete the entire recording. That uh, was awful. Uh, last part of the order of operations trifecta. When you brush your teeth. We're going to keep driving this train, Zach. When you brush your teeth, uh, water or toothpaste first? I go toothpaste first. To- Wait, so toothpaste, then water, right? Yep. Okay. Just want to make sure you're not a weirdo who does toothpaste only. No, that'd be like super dry. Why would you it do would that? Be, uh, people do that. We've had this conversation. Justin Choi, among them. I'm going to call him out. He was a guest, and he was wonderful, and, and I love him. But also, he just did no, no water at all. But, uh, just crazy. crazy. Yeah, that's the face you're supposed to make. When yeah, that was disgusting. <laughs> my, I mean, my own father. My own father told me i asked him this question he was like why would i put water on the toothbrush and i'm like because you're not a sociopath yeah it's a the bristles get softer you you know you like your teeth and then and then you don't want to hurt them i i and i've i've mentioned this before but like my my dad was just like then water gets everywhere i'm like what are you doing when you're brushing your teeth that like you put a little bit of water on your toothbrush and it's like you're yeah, all like dribbling out of my mouth and i'm like what, what are you doing <laughs> although <laughs> crazy well we'll have to discuss this with um i the episode i recorded with howard on um on tuesday he was mm-hmm. a milk milk <laughs> so you're in my <laughs> milk and then toothpaste guy is that what he's <laughs> talking about howard bender <laughs> the um this is uh good old, our friend howard megdal oh okay he um who writes for baseball prospectus among a few other places. And he's get goes water and then toothpaste, but then nothing after that. Okay. Oh, that, that, okay. I was still okay. like, that's still pretty dry. Like, I feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like the second water is more important than the first one. Agreed. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. But you gotta, either way, gotta wet those bristles. Yeah, uh, I'm otherwise be so amazed when I go to cut this up, how much of my life I've spent talking about this. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I feel that. Um, okay. Real quick, do you have a favorite and or least favorite baseball movie? Sandlot is my favorite. <laughs> okay. You hate it? I, I So here's here's my quick spiel on Sandlot. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's like a joke at Pitcherless that I hate it with every fiber of my being. I truly don't. Um, I think it's a very genuine, sweet movie written by somebody who truly loves baseball. I just think it is a movie that is for children that a bunch of people who were kids in the 90s now look at with rose-colored nostalgia glasses and think it's like the greatest sports movie of all time when in reality it's a perfectly fine, okay kids movie. Um, totally okay that people love it. I, you know, if, if something gives you joy, far be it from me to sit there and like crap all over that. I, you know, if it makes people happy, wonderful, wonderful. But... Um, yeah, I I just I saw it for the first time when I was eighteen, and I was just like, "This is the movie that like people love that 
uh, I've referenced this before, but Bleacher Report had a poll where it was like, what's the greatest sports movie of all time? Number one was The Sandlot ahead of like mm. Raging Bull and stuff. And I'm like, so okay, this is, a, this is a bit much. But uh, yeah, no, I can understand it. If you saw The Sandlot when you were like nine and loved it, I totally get it. Yeah, I watched it probably a hundred times as a kid. Like, yep, I, yep. I totally be... get that. See, I, I will say the, my point of divergence with you, Ben, there is that I don't agree with your sentiment necessarily, but I've like I've watched it with kids several times in my adult life, and I just think it still holds up great personally is my hmm. my, my contention. But uh, yeah, that's, one more, fair. that's fair. One more quick, quick, slightly sports related question. You might not have an answer to this. I don't know if you're a big basketball guy or not, but I'm curious uh, as a Big Ten basketball fan, who's your favorite Wisconsin basketball player if you have one? Ooh, my all-time favorite Wisconsin basketball player, Frank Kaminsky. No, I'm <laughs> Frank the Tank. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think it's Frank Kaminsky. I've always thought that Frank Kaminsky sounded like the name of like a uh, uh, like a longshoreman in Boston or something. Like, just not an shark, NBA yeah. player. <laughs> like, I, hey, it's old Frank Kaminsky. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be Devin Harris um, because he oh, played while I was in school, NBA quality player. Wisconsin to that point didn't have a lot of NBA caliber guards in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. So he kind of stands out probably for nostalgic reasons. Fra- I mean, Frank Kaminsky and that team that should have beat Duke. That was, that was their chance. That was, that was the one time in my lifetime that Wisconsin's men's basketball team was supposed to win a national championship and they effed it up. And I'm uh, like, Gosh, I just, I was, I, yeah. I'm never going to get that back. That's never going to happen again. <laughs> well, I don't know. You never know. The you'll, Big Ten always guard. runs up enough. It was, put it this way. Um, there are enough. There are enough like snowbound, six foot seven, thick white dudes in the Midwest to to fuel a few more a few more Big Ten championship runs for any number of schools across the Midwest. Fair in my opinion. So, but Devin Harris, great pick, NBA champion. Devin, Devin Harris, uh, and uh, the reason that the Washington Wizards got Antoine Jameson, who was a lot of fun to watch, because the uh, they the Wizards drafted Devin Harris and then traded him and Jerry Stackhouse and Christian Leitner to the Mavericks for uh, Antoine Jameson, who was fan really fun to watch. Him and Gilbert Arenas, man, what a what a fun little Wizards team. Gilbert Arenas. I, uh, <laughs> give it a Google. Uh, he had a he had a fun time. <laughs> or did you say whatever happened to Antoine Jameson? Oh, no, I was referring to good old Agent Zero, no, no. <laughs> dude. The he did like the he had like a gun thing and then just phew, gone. It was like little some gun wild thing, stuff. <laughs> little gun thing. Um, okay. Anyways, so I want to let's see. We've got a couple minutes left. I want to ask. One, no, two more questions before we get to the full count, which is the last little thing. Uh, have you, Derek, you ever seen a ghost or experienced something that you could not explain or seen a UFO or anything like that? Things that make you go, hmm. I have yeah. not. I cannot, I cannot recall any instance in which I felt like I was in the presence of the paranormal. No. Okay. Uh, so then, quick follow up. You ever almost died? No. That's good. That's a good thing. That's a good <laughs> thing. You live a nice, terrestrial, safe well, life. I guess. I mean, I was driving down I ninety four, and a deer ran to the side of my car. So, oh, I guess that maybe maybe I was closer to dying. Like, I nothing, like it was fine. It broke off a side mirror, and the car stayed on the road, and I I 
just drove home. But that's I terrifying. Guess maybe yeah. was a closer to death experience than I ever stopped things. to process. Well, so. I mean, that's that's scary too because when you're just driving along on a highway and all of a sudden, boom, yeah, and like, yeah, that's those things will fuck you up, dude. Yeah, yeah. that's absolutely terrifying. And shit. Like, <laughs> I saw it about a half second before it like smashed into the side, like right. <laughs> oh my god, I had uh, your old deer there. <laughs> not a, not a deer, but I was driving on the Baltimore Beltway late at night. My kids had just fallen asleep. We were coming home from like uh, Pennsylvania and this raccoon came out at the last second and I just nailed it. I mean, just wakes the kids up and then I'm driving along and I hear and I'm sitting there going, this stupid raccoon has caught my wheel. Well, isn't it? I pulled over. Luckily it was not the raccoon, but the raccoon had torn off a panel of above my wheel. Above the wheel well, this plastic panel, one of those ones that like snaps into place on the frame. Ugh. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, right, you know what? I just need to get rid of it. So I just rip the panel off and threw it in the back of my car. And it's just like, <laughs> but stupid <laughs> animals on the highway, man. Um, all right. Last question before we get to the full count. Tell me about a time uh, in your life in which you laughed really, really hard. Maybe it's the hardest you've ever laughed. Maybe it's not. Maybe somebody fell down, uh, tripped, farted did something in church or at a wedding or at a funeral that they weren't supposed to tears are rolling down your face. It does not have to be a good story. What's the time you laughed super hard. Uh, we were playing wiffle ball. Actually, when I was at Rotowire, we have this, um, there's a sports bar 20 ish miles West of the office, just outside of town where the cornfields begin. It's called rookies. If you're ever interested in nice. checking out this, this place that has a little wiffle ball stadium in the back. And uh, it had rained a couple of days before we got there. There's some standing water on the on the side of the field. And uh, one of our coworkers, good friend Jake Latarski, had a Clayton Kershaw Dodgers jersey on, a nice one, like just you know the, the fan, like the, the two hundred <laughs> plus, like the night the nice Kershaw jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Decided to wear that out to the yard to play wiffle ball with everybody. Well, with baseball vibes. Jake had the <laughs> uh, the unfortunate experience of trying to chase down a pop up near the puddle, and uh, he he hit some mud and just did the classic like feet slid out from under him and just <laughs> splashed into a mud puddle. Oh it, my god! It was a hilarious fall. I, mean, it was, I wasn't laughing at him because he was wearing the jersey or anything. I actually felt bad because I was laughing because it was like oh, that that that's his nicest shirt, like by far. Like that is that's brutal. Like if that just happened. <laughs> But it was just like a cartoon, and a cartoon, I think yeah, yeah. It's one of those moments where I think because everybody else is also laughing, you laugh even harder. So I, I definitely was like laughing into tears when that happened. Yep, cartoon, cartoon like real life injuries are the funniest. I had one happen to me. I stepped on a rake one time. I kid you not. <laughs> I mean, straight up Bugs Bunny style. Stepped on a rake. The rake came up, boom, hit me in the forehead, and gave me a massive knot on my head, and like. Everyone around me thought that I was joking. Like they're like, he's he could not have injured himself this way. And I'm like, no, 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 I did. I stepped on a rake and it hit me in the face. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a good moment uh, just a couple of days ago. My wife said something that made me laugh almost that hard. And I don't know if you guys do watch Ted Lasso. Love it. Um, so I'm a big fan of the show. I think they did a pretty good job. Like, like season yeah. two, at first I thought season two was going to be ruined. Like the first episode was kind of brutal, and I like mm-hmm. oh, I don't I don't like I don't like the vibes of. The, you know, the, I don't, I'm not going to blow it for anyone. I just, I didn't, I didn't like the way I felt after the first episode of season sure. two. They, they're taking this in a weird direction, not like a good one. But yeah. they, they did a great job over the course of the season. 
there's one one thing, one thing in particular that Roy Kent says that Roy Kent would never ever say. Roy Kent would never ask Siri to play Keeley's playlist, right? He would never mm, make a request mm, of Siri. Roy Kent's the kind of person that would just pick up the phone, just push the button. Like he, <laughs> he, would, he would kindly do the, everything else, right? Yeah. And, and the other day, <laughs> the, the scene bothers my wife and I so much. Steph looked at me. We were just like eating dinner or something. And, and in a Roy Kent voice, she just goes, Siri, play the sexy bathtub playlist. And I just... <laughs> I was just dying. I'm like, <laughs> it was so unexpected and random. And I'm like, oh my I god! Just hated that line so much because we we paused the show and we both looked at each other. And we're like, Roy Kent would never say that. <laughs> what, what just happened here? This I understand you got to place the products, but why that you don't yeah. write it like that? Come on! Oh my god, that's hilarious. You got to place the products, uh, man. Got to do it, man. Sexy bathtub playlist. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, all right. To close this out, we want to get to the full count real quick. And the full count, we are going to ask you for a recommendation in each of five categories. Three and two, full count. Get it? Oof. Yeah, very right. clever. Um, the thing I always preface this with is these do not uh, have to be obscure or special, incredible, amazing recommendations. First thing that pops in your head, that's what I want to hear. It, it does not have to be something, you know, super obscure. So with that in mind, very first recommendation, books. What is a book that you would recommend? I just started the answers in the form of questions. Uh, the Jeopardy book that Claire McNear oh. wrote. I'm only 30 or 40 pages in, but uh, I, I I don't watch Jeopardy obsessively every day. I love game shows, though. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm fascinated by the history of game shows and how a game show like that kind of came to be. So I would highly recommend it because I I have loved the start of that book. I didn't even know it existed. That sounds super cool. That's awesome. Oh, so number two, I missed, missed my cue. Sorry. It's all good. It's It's all good. There wasn't really a cue. Um, Number two in the full count uh, is a food recommendation, and that can be like a restaurant, a meal, an ingredient, anything culinary of the sort. Oh, yeah. I've got a a slow cooker pulled pork tacos recipe that is a go-to for me. It's it's really simple. It's it's an America's Test Kitchen. We got the giant, like, 20-pound Test Kitchen book. It has a ton of stuff in it, but uh, it's like the everyday pork like pork taco filling it's got a very generic name you would flip past it almost every time in favor of something more interesting it it is like legitimately some of my favorite tacos and i've had some really good stuff when i've traveled there's not great tacos around madison especially fortunately i could experience that a bit more here uh but yeah I, i would say pulled pork tacos in the slow cooker there are ways to do it and they will turn out amazing oh man that sounds fantastic yeah, my my version of pulled like barbecue is just like it's boring. I toss some chicken in a slow cooker, throw in some sweet baby rays, and it's passable. It works. But yeah, a good a good over there with your sweet baby rays. <laughs> hey, um, I don't use it as a bookend. Uh, <laughs> hey, I do. I do actually usually post all of the recommendations uh, in the notes yeah. or link to them. So if you have a copy of that recipe and want to link it, I will stick it in there. I will yeah, get it. Yeah, for it, sure. It's it's um it's probably about five or six different seasonings. You dice up some onions and uh, mm. throw a little oil on it. Microwave that first. Mm. That, that's that's what that's what adds all the flavor. You get the get all the seasonings all happy before you throw them in the slow cooker with the with the meat and 
Yeah, it's amazing. Interesting. Hmm. That sounds awesome. Like yeah. That. Um. All right. Next recommendation: movies and or TV. Do you have a movie and or a TV show that you would recommend? Yeah. Um. I mean, everyone's seen Shit's Creek already. I'm starting to rewatch so great. that. Uh, so I, good. So you could rewatch Shit's Creek for sure. The movie. Like, I want to go obscure. What go for it. But, nah. F it. I'm not going obscure. <laughs> Watch Tommy Boy again because oh man, for for comedies from that era, many of them are not going to hold up particularly well. That one holds up about as well as something that age in comedy can hold up. Oh yeah, that the scene where they're I still reference it all the time. The scene where they're in the car and they are flipping the radio stations and Superstar comes on. They're like. I'll leave it fine whatever I don't like the song it's stupid and then they're like singing it and crying oh my god it gets me every time I love that so so good um, (laughs) Hiro Dreams of Sushi would be my obscure oh dude okay I haven't seen the documentary but I have seen the episode of documentary now that parodies Hiro Dreams Dreams of Sushi have you seen documentary now Mm -mm. oh dude so documentary now really quickly is this show that Seth Meyers, Bill Hader and Fred Armisen put together. It was on IFC uh, and it's on, I think it's on Netflix, uh, but it's 30 minute episodes and each episode. It does a documentary parody of a real documentary and they do a parody of Hiro James sushi and it's hilarious. It's brilliant. Um, it's it totally like, worth oh, watching. Really good. The, uh, Oh, I'll, I'll throw another TV show. Ever, like I said, yep. everyone's seen Shit's Creek. Bojack Horseman. If you haven't watched Bojack, Dude. watch Bojack. It's dark, but it it's really good. Absolutely brilliant. I, I, I have a hard time describing that to people because I'm like, it's this really dark, serious show about depression and addiction, and it features a cartoon horse. Yep. <laughs> Man, it, you know, I watched, I actually only finished it recently because I started watching the second half of the final season around like early March of 2020. <laughs> that's, a tough, that's a tough time to yeah, and, yeah. So yeah I was like difficult. one episode in and then the entire world starts falling apart even more and I'm like you know I don't think I need these vibes right now because it's like you know how it's you know how it's gonna go you know not the time to watch the view not from the halfway time to watch down it. so I did I did finally get around to finishing it in uh sometime earlier this year and I will say I, I think Bojack Horseman and Chicagoans are notoriously prick, prickly about how we in our city are represented in creative media and Bojack Horseman has the best takedown of Chicago and Chicagoans. Like it's so accurate. It's so accurate. Uh, I, f- I fully endorse it. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant show. Love it. Um, so yeah, number four on the full count, we got two more sticking with pop culture is music. Can you give us a music recommendation? Yeah. I love the, the band Houndmouth. Um, you talked a- about them on you, me and an album, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Little Neon Limelight album was the yeah, yeah. that was the album I, I chose for for that that show with Al and I think I hope I probably mentioned on that show that they, they lost one of their members. Um, one of their members left the band. She's still alive. Katie Tupin. She has a solo music career. She didn't good, die. Good clarification. Yeah, yeah she's good. alive. She makes music. She's on tour. She's doing well. You know, follow Katie too. Um, when they lost her from their band, though, I just thought like, this, this band's never going to sound the same. And they had another album that came out two or three years ago, and it was totally different. And maybe part of that creative process is, well, we're not the same band we were, so we have to do something different. And they just released a new album in the last week or so that I feel like is the logical album that should have followed 
Little Neon Limelight. So hmm. start with Little Neon Limelight. If you dig that, skip ahead to the latest release and then maybe go back and start digging into the other stuff a bit more. But uh, yeah, just uh, just one of those bands that I kind of stumbled into that I, I really dig. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great. I, I don't really know them, so I'll have to check them out for sure. Um, all right, final category. Miscellaneous. Anything from your life that you would recommend to somebody else? This can be an experience. This can be a place, a person, a thing, a gadget, literally anything. And like I said, first thing that pops in your head, that's that's what I want to hear. You got to go to Hawaii at some point in mm-hmm. your life. Um, I, I have not traveled internationally, so I can't speak to that, but... I, I just can't imagine a more perfect place than than Hawaii. I was only on uh, Oahu. I went there for my honeymoon, stayed right on the ocean, and it was amazing. And I, I think about going back there on a trip. It feels like once a week at least, <laughs> if not every day. Uh, maybe now that I live on the West Coast, it's a little more realistic to, to sleep yeah. out there eventually. But uh, I, I, I would just translate that as more of a, if you've ever thought about taking a big trip somewhere, take it. Find 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 a way to do it. Do whatever it takes. You know, save up the extra vacation day. Cut your coffee habit. Whatever whatever it takes to go yeah. on that trip to experience that. You will remember that for a lifetime, and it, it's worth every penny, every every ounce of effort it takes to actually go on a trip like that. Yeah, and now that you're in California, once they build that bridge from California <laughs> to Hawaii, uh, you'll be all set. That's a BoJack reference. You got to mm-hmm. watch the show. Um, <laughs> no, that's a great. That's a great. Uh, <laughs> that's a great recommendation. I felt kind of the same way. My honeymoon was in uh, Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic, and I, and I frequently think about like, let's just do our honeymoon again, like because it was just so beautiful. It's it's incredible. Um, well, Derek, why thank not? you so much. Yeah, I mean, hey, why not? But Derek, thank you so much for being here. On Shag and Flies, it is. Uh, it's been so much fun to have you. You are a joy and just a wonderful person, and it is. It has been a delight to have you. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Of course.